Are you a 49er fan or a Cubs fan? Now, today, if, if you are either of those, it just shows how bold you are uh, for the 49ers because they're not doing so hot. And even for the Cubs who, you know, had a bad century and uh, now have that opportunity but are starting to fall a little short, maybe. But, you know, when you view a team a certain way and you're behind them, you are bold in being a fan. Now, sometimes we're cautioned, though, about not being too bold about things. For example, you've maybe heard it said, you know, you shouldn't discuss with people or ask people things about their politics or about religion. Because those are just two topics that are too personal and maybe controversial. So you should just stay away from those two things. Well, let me tell you, people are talking about politics today, aren't they? So why not be bold and talk about religion? We want to continue our series of messages entitled Believe, and today the emphasis is be bold. That's what Martin Luther was 500 years ago when he took on the establishment, when he took on the church. He was bold to point out what was wrong and what needed to be corrected. And the thing that gave him that boldness were these words from Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to use them today to remind us to believe and be bold. Paul wrote this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, if you're a 49er fan or a Cubs fan, it's because you see something yet in that team that you believe in, so to speak. You have a particular view of them that, that keeps supporting you in, in your faithfulness to them. Today, people have views of the world and their role in it, their position in it, that has been labeled as a, a world view. Another way to look at it is like this. Like it's a set of lenses on your mind and on your heart as to how you see the world and what goes on in it. Now, there are many different world views. Some might call them philosophies today. But the ones that stand out that are uh, in, in play for us today, I think are these three. What's called modern worldview, the postmodern worldview, and a synergistic worldview. Now, the statement on the bottom of the screen is kind of key for helping us understand what I'm talking about. It says, why look at reality when you can see what you want to see with worldview lenses? Why look at reality? Just see things the way you want to see it. Well, today we want to be bold, be bold to believe the gospel. Now, those worldviews are very pervasive. That is, they can affect everybody in, in, in all aspects of their life, from your beliefs to your values 
all the way through to your behavior. But today, we want to emphasize how important it is to be bold to trust the gospel view of things. Now, to understand that, let's just take a brief look at those three main worldviews. The first one being modernism. It was kind of the popular worldview of the 20th century and part of the 21st century, although that's starting to change. The modernist view looks and emphasizes on things we would call materialism and humanism. Now, by materialism, I simply mean its trust, its view in how material things help us. Now, certainly we see how material things can help us. Technology. But it's not just how it helps you, but that it is the thing, the only thing, and that's all you need for help. Now, humanism has the focus on human beings, that we are it. We are the center of the universe, and we can solve all of our problems all by ourselves with the help of those material things. Let me read from you this statement from the Humanist Manifesto, which kind of highlights what I mean. For the first time in human history, <coughs> we possess the means provided by science and technology to ameliorate the human condition to advance happiness and freedom and enhance human life for all people. See what it says? Through things, we can do it. Whatever it is we have to do, we can do it. We don't need help from God. And so the modern worldview has pushed God off to the side or maybe completely out of the picture. And in, its, in, its, in his place, it has put human beings and what they can do. Now, that view is starting to change in our society. We're at a time, and, and you see that with some of the clashes and things. But we're, in a thing, we're in a time when that view is starting to change to what is now called postmodernism, where the view isn't so much on, on things and, and humans as it is on relativism and spiritualism. Let me explain that. By relativism, it simply means, well, you can believe and trust whatever you want. It's all relative. So you have your truth, and you have your truth, you have your truth, and you have your truth, and while they all might be different, even the contradictory, they're still all valid. And what's true for you, it's true. And what your truth is, that's true for you. And so it's all good. It's all relative. Now, spiritualism is that emphasis then on that there is a spirit life, a spiritual life. But as we see emphasized today, mixed with relativism, it's not just that spiritual truth or that one. It's all of them together. It's all relative. So you can kind of pick whatever your God is or whatever your belief is. You can do whatever it is you want to do. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a man who, whose faith is from another major religion, and I was trying to point out to him the differences in what we believe. And he said, no, pastor, you're not seeing this correctly. He said, it's like if you want to drive to San Francisco, you can take the 280 or you can take the 101. There's a lot of different ways to get there, but you're all going to end up there no matter what. 
In other words, there are many gods, there's many roads to eternity, and they all work. Well, that's not the view that we believe is the truth. What plays into this is another worldview called synergism. And this particular worldview has been around probably since the history of the world. The word synergism simply means you are working with, you are working along with, you're working together. It's the view that simply, I must and I can do something. It's God and me working together. And that we see in in humanism, and we see in all the other major religions of the world, that there's something you must do and can do to take care of your future. It's this idea of self-reliance. It's the the idea of the role and the power of the self to take care of its needs. And that has become so pervasive that it has even been brought into the Christian faith. Now, there's another worldview, sometimes called the Christian worldview or a biblical worldview. I don't particularly like those terms, and I'll tell you why. Because when you say a Christian worldview, it means, well, here's what Christians, these humans, believe. Or a biblical worldview, well, you're you're basing it just on, on that writing. And now those things are true and can be fine, but I would prefer that we call it instead God's view. Because now we put it on a different level, a different plane. It's not what I as a human being say from my faith perspective. It's not what I'm saying just from this book. But this is what God says about life. Let's take a look at what God's view is of the world. I think a key passage to to set that is this verse from Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The perspective that God has of the world is summarized with two words, sin and grace. God sees what is wrong with the world. It's our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion against his will. And that has brought a separation. That has disqualified us from eternal life. That's what God sees. But as those words revealed, he doesn't keep a record of our sins. He's done something with what we have done. He's erased the record. How did he do that? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came and and he fulfilled all of those laws that you and I break. Jesus was the one who was faithful all the time to God when we have been unfaithful. And that obedience of God becomes ours through faith in him. God replaces our record of disobedience with Christ's record of righteousness. And he has wiped the record clean. He has made us clean In the blood of Jesus, the sins are all 
blotted out. Every one of them. Though we remember them, the Bible says he remembers them no more. And to assure us of that eternal life, we have the resurrection of Jesus, which assures us of our own resurrection and eternal life through what he has done for us. Now, I summarize it simply with the word grace, and I spell out what that means. It's God's redemption. It's God's working. It's God's reconciling of us to himself at Christ's expense. It's not what I must do. It's not what I can contribute to or help along with. It's totally at Christ's expense. Now here's how it becomes ours. The Apostle Paul explains it. Know that a person is not justified, that means seen as innocent in God's view, is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So God's view of the world God's view of our position in the world, more importantly, our position with Him, is that we're justified by faith. Now, I want to just share with you how comforting, how valuable, how important that simple truth is. Yesterday, when I was doing ministry in the prison, I had a devotion with the men where I simply summarized this message in three minutes. Now, I know you're jealous because you were saying, well, there's a three-minute version of that. Why can I have that? <laughs> After I shared that message with him, one of the inmates says, Pastor, that's exactly what we need to hear. Because when we're in prison, it's all about rules. It's all about obedience. And then they start changing the rules, and this guard interprets it one way, and this guard another way, and we're never quite sure what it is we have to do. And they understand that. That's prison, and that's what life in this world is like. Here are the rules. But he said, that's not the way it is with God. With God, everything is done for me. You see how important and how valuable that message is. So, whose truth? Your truth? Your truth? Their truth? I say, God's truth. God's truth that tells us Jesus is not just a way to heaven. He is the way and the only way. In the early Christian church, the first Christian church, they weren't called Christians. They were known by the name, the way. Because what they believed, what they stood for, what they taught was so clear that they were saying, this is the way, Jesus Christ. Now that was a message that was not very well received by the world. The Christians were ridiculed. They were scorned. There was persecution against them. They were trying to, uh, people were trying to stop them. But it didn't work. 
because God's truth always stands. God's truth wins out. And here we are, thousands of years later, with that truth. The Christian church is all over the world because the truth is the power of God to save, and you can't stop that power. But it's also true that there are many other religions out there in the world, some called major religions and some that are just minor religions. We have to be clear and we have to be bold that this is the truth. And to reject Jesus, he said, is to reject God. And to reject God, then, is to be rejected by God. Be bold to trust that truth. 500 years ago, Luther took a stand. He was bold because of what the scriptures said. And today, we have the blessing of that same truth. We need to be bold to trust it and to hold on to it because many, even within the Christian church, have wandered away from that message. So in addition to being bold to trust it, we have to be bold to tell it. Now this week I, I got an like you, I get a lot of junk email. But mine is like all churchy junk email. <laughs> and uh, I got one in which uh, it, said, it said this. Why should you preach, or why you should preach the gospel in every sermon? Now, I thought that was interesting because usually I get, here's how you make your church bigger, or here's what your people need to hear, or whatever. And then I went to the website, and it says, take a challenge. So I read on, and the pastor who wrote this was urging pastors to sign up to take the challenge to preach the gospel in every sermon. I didn't think that was a challenge because that's what I do all the time. That's what I believe, and that's how I was trained. At our seminary, words are printed above the altar that say, preach the gospel, because that's the message, that's the commission, the assignment that God gave his church. So to me, it's not a challenge. It's like a no-brainer, of course. But he went on to show how many churches today have wandered from that, how they're getting into other things about here's how you make your life better and here's how you do this. And the gospel is missing from those messages. And I wander around sometimes on the web and listen to other sermons from other churches, and it's true. A lot of them don't talk about the gospel. I'm not saying they don't believe it, but they don't talk about it. This guy made a point then. He said, believe it or not, doing something as simple as giving the gospel in every sermon can literally transform your church. Again, I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. Because Paul said, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Why would you leave it out? Now, let me ask you kind of a personal question here. Do you have a weight problem? And just to clarify, so you don't throw stones at me, I mean this kind of a weight, W-A-I-T. Do you have a weight problem in sharing the gospel with somebody? Do you, for some reason, wait and hold back? Maybe because you're unsure of what they're going to say, how they're going to react. 
Maybe you are uncertain about what to say. Maybe you don't think it's, it's, it's really your right to do that. You know, like that saying, you shouldn't talk about politics or religion. And so maybe you wait. Well, I want to encourage you to lose some weight. Get rid of the weight and simply tell the gospel now. The pastor who sent that email went on and gave a little illustration. He said, what if you had the cure for cancer? It really is the cure. And you knew somebody who had it. Would you wait to tell them? Would you let them just continue on in their way of trying to solve it? Or would you tell them, here's the cure? Somebody told you the cure for the cancer that infects all of us, sin. Don't wait. People need it now. And when you tell it, tell it clearly. Remember grace. It's about what God has done. Not what, here now, try to do this and get your life together and all those kinds of things. It's what God has done. And then tell it in love. You're not out to win an argument. You're not out to show you're a better debater. You're there simply to present the truth. Tell it with love for that person who needs to hear it. Tell it with joy. Tell it with confidence, because this is the cure. This is the power of God for salvation. Be bold. We are heirs of the Reformation. 500 years later, we still have this as our foundational truth. Salvation by grace through faith alone. We hold that up as our heritage and our message, not because we're trying to say, hey, look how good we are and look what we've done. Like the Apostle Paul, we say this, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed either. Let's be bold to trust it, even when the world has a different message. And let's be bold to tell it, because the world has a different message. Amen. Bold to trust that message, the power of the gospel. Let's use as our profession of faith this morning the statement, the power of the cross. Please rise, take your stand, and let's show how bold we are in believing this truth. I believe that from birth and by nature, I am a sinful being. Born into sin, I realize that I am helpless on my own to reach a right standing with God. I also believe that God is merciful and provides a way for me to approach him. This through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, the one who paid the price for my sins on the cross of Calvary. 
I believe the message of the cross is the power of God in my very own life. Through this message, God provides the only way from my eternal death and destruction, a way guaranteeing my salvation and a way to true peace with him. I believe that when I take up the cross and follow Christ, I acknowledge that Christ has triumphed over the world, over sin, and over the devil's power in my life. When I take up the cross and follow Christ, I am assured that I am alive with Christ and a true heir of God. Yes, I believe that God loves me so much that he gave his one and only Son so that I would not perish. By Christ's death and resurrection, I not only have a right standing with God, but also the promise of life in heaven with him forever and ever. I am truly blessed by the power of the cross. May God bless us with that profession and with boldness to trust and to tell the gospel. You may be seated.